Hello, greetings. I'm Rick Storrs, the pastor of Restoration uh, up in Minneapolis. And today is a bit of an interesting day because in addition to preaching for my own congregation, Restoration, I'm also preaching for a sister church of ours, for Christ Church in Madison. And so, Christ Church, greetings, good morning. Uh, I wish that I could be preaching to you in person. In fact, I was scheduled to do so a couple Sundays ago, but for obvious reasons, uh, that wasn't able to happen. But uh, please know that we love you up here at Restoration. In fact, we pray for you regularly. Uh, you're constantly um, brought up in our prayers of the people, and we are cheering you on. We love you guys so much. You are like a, a you are a sister to us. You are a sister church plant of ours uh, in our diocese, and I look forward to the day in which I will be able to preach for you uh, in person and get to know many of you uh, more. And then also to my own church restoration, uh, I love you and I miss you all as well. And uh, I think of you just constantly, obviously, but man, I wish I could just, uh, we could all be together in the community center again, um, lifting up the name of Christ together. Um, well, let's pray and then we'll dive into our word this morning. Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you. I pray, Lord, that you would open up the word this morning, that we might hear from you. So guide my words this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So both of our churches are working through our lectionary readings of First Peter uh, for the, these weeks right now. And like I said, Scott preached um, uh, earlier for, or last week for us. Uh, and this week we're going to be diving into the second chapter of First Peter, starting at verse 13. So Peter, as uh, many of you know, Peter is writing to a dispersed people. In fact, that's how he opens up his book. Uh, he writes and he says, he says to those in the dispersion, uh, and he's regularly referring to these people, these people who are on the outskirts of the Roman Empire as a dispersion, as a scattered people. He says, I know that you are sojourners right now. You are exiles right now. And for those of us today who are uh, worshiping the Lord in our living rooms, uh, we know what it's like to be this dispersed people, although different culture, different time for sure. Um, but we, we resonate with that. Like we are an isolated people right now. And it feels lonely uh, to be sort of virtually gathering in this sort of way. And so what Peter is saying to them, and, I, and what I believe what, what the Lord wants to say to us now here today, is that I haven't forgotten about you. Peter is saying to his people, I love you. You are on my mind. I think of you often. Even though you are scattered and far away, I love you, Peter says. In fact, all throughout uh, this beautiful book, Peter uses just gorgeous language to encourage his people. Uh, there's these beautiful metaphors that he sends to the people. Uh, first of all, he says, you are like family right now. You are brothers and sisters. You are united in Christ uh, right now. You are a family. In fact, you are all sharing of one inheritance uh, under Jesus Christ. You are brothers and sisters. And then secondly, the second metaphor that he uses is he says, even though you are all split apart, you are each like living stones, all being brought together to build up a spiritual home. Why? For the dwelling of God. God is dwelling in your midst, in you, a spiritual home built for him. And then thirdly, another metaphor that, that Peter uses for the people is he says that you are a holy nation. You are my citizens. I have set you apart to be a holy nation, to be a royal priesthood, so that those around you might look at you and see my glory radiating through you. Do you hear these encouraging words? 
You know, just wave after wave, Peter is building up his beloved dispersed people. And then we get to today's passage, which is a bit more jarring, right? Uh, it's a bit of a confusing passage. Today's passage, in fact, to some of you, might even feel like nails on a chalkboard. It's like whiplash, right? See, and so what Peter says today is he says this. He says, be subject to every human institution, whether it's the emperor or whether it's the governor. And I don't know about you, but when I first read that, I'm like, ew. Like, really? Be subject to every human institution? Especially after everything that Peter just said? After he just said you are family? After he just said you are your own house? Uh, after he just said you are a holy nation? You know what you would expect to hear Peter to say in this moment? You would expect to hear him say, in light of all of those things, so just forget about the emperor. In fact, you are your own nation, so you don't need to obey any of that. You are your own institution, right? But no, he doesn't say that. And this is just jostling for us. Like it's even sort of offensive for us right now, especially given the circumstance that we now find ourselves. You know, right now we are in this cultural moment where we are hour by hour reminded of the dysfunction of human institutions. You know, we are in this situation right now with it that should be unifying. It's a matter of public health. Like, everyone wants to be healthy, right? So you should see people just coming from all different backgrounds and, and beliefs and political systems in order to, like, work together. But no, this is just a season of various institutions going to battle with one another. It's like there's this political jousting that's happening over and over again. And so for us to hear Peter's words, submit to yourself to every every human institution, it's, it's not easy to hear that. Like these are super challenging words right now for us. But here's the deal. These words aren't any harder for us to read today than 2000 years ago when Peter first wrote them. Because Peter knows exactly what he is saying. And he knows exactly the challenges that society and that the world throws our way, including the ones of corrupt uh, human institutions. You see, what the reality is, is that Peter is writing these words from the belly of the beast itself. Most scholars believe that when Peter wrote this, that he was actually imprisoned in Rome, sitting under the emperor Nero, waiting for a trial before him. And we know through history of what actually happens. Peter goes before Nero and Nero executes him. He puts him to death. And Peter knows this is coming. He doesn't, he's not an idiot. He knows exactly uh, what is in his future. And so here is Peter, an imprisoned Jew, writing to a fragmented community. And he's telling them to obey, to honor the emperor, to obey the governors, to submit themselves to every human institution. And he's not writing these things in order to irritate them or to push their buttons or anything like that. No, he's writing these words to these people to encourage them. He's writing to them to equip them to navigate the complexities of our broken world. And I think that just as those servants and those poor and marginalized people on the outskirts of the Roman Empire could be encouraged by these words 2,000 years ago, I think that we ourselves can be encouraged by them as well. The Lord has much to say to us today through these words.
So I think that there's three questions that can kind of guide us through this passage, that can guide us through sort of these three movements through this passage. So we're going to be asking the question, why do we need to honor human institutions? Why are, and then uh, secondly, what about just unjust authorities, those wicked um, authorities who are sometimes placed over us? And then thirdly, where in the world is God in all of this? Where is God all of this? So first of all, why do we, haunt, why do we honor institutions? Well, the Bible teaches us that God creates human institutions to bring order to society. When a government is working, you know, in its ideal sort of way, uh, the government's supposed to be making decisions for the benefit of all the people. We're supposed to be protected by the government from foreign attacks. The government's supposed to be punishing evildoers, right, to bring justice to the land. And also the government is supposed to foster systems of human flourishing. Now, ideally, this is what a government is supposed to do. And as I just said, Peter knows firsthand uh, moments in which the government's not doing that. But what Peter is writing and saying to his people is that each of you, especially as a royal priesthood, each of you have been placed in the situation where you find yourselves now so that uh, you can do good works in those places. In fact, God has given you the freedom to do good works in those situations. Why? So that people might be drawn to the glory of God through you. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see this happening. There's so many examples. We could spend all day just talking about uh, examples in the Old Testament of people who are in a foreign land, who are submitting uh, to authorities in order to draw people closer uh, to the Lord. We can think of Joseph, who was offering godly wisdom to Pharaoh. We can think of David, who honored King Saul, before David was king, obviously, was honoring King Saul, even though Saul was, was a crazy person. We can think of Esther, who saved her people by honoring the king. We can think of Jeremiah, who commended the exiled people to seek the welfare of the city. Wherever you might be, seek the welfare of the city, Jeremiah writes. And then Daniel humbly advised uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, that wicked king as well. So why do we, have all, or why do we see um, all of these people doing this? To bring glory to God. So our purpose is to point to a higher authority in these moments. We don't honor earthly rulers because they're the ultimate authority. No, quite the opposite. We honor human authorities to show that our allegiance is to a higher authority. We are supposed to point to the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the great and glorious and good God. So in the midst of complexities and in, in the midst of the, the messiness and confusion that we find ourselves, we stay focused on godliness. We point to the clarity and the beauty of God's goodness. <clears throat> so what does that mean exactly for us now? What does that mean for us, you know? Especially, well, I, I think one thing that it means is that Christians should be like the best employees, right? Like, especially in this day and age where, where the workplaces around us and that we find ourselves in are just being restructured right now. Like, we should be the ones who are most excited to do good and to, to seek the benefit of our, our jobs um, right now. You know, this isn't, a time, this isn't a, a, a time for us where we find excuses to cut corners. You know, so I think simply at its most basic form, what this passage is saying to us today is that we ought to be doing our best work, even in the midst of really challenging experiences. Well, and then secondly, I think another thing that this means for us is that we, we need to be respecting the health guidelines that our government is giving us right now. 
And I know it's easy to turn on the news and, and see that there's plenty of other Christians that are disagreeing with, with the government, what the government is doing. But man, I'm just, I'm delighted that uh, I serve a, a bishop and, and I know Scott feels the same way, where it's, uh, it's our belief that we need to be submitting to the government uh, right now. In fact, the other day I was chatting with one of, our, one of my neighbors uh, and he asked, he was very nervous. He said, so what is your church uh, doing in the midst of this pandemic right now? And I said, well, uh, we're not gathering for, for public worship right now. Instead, we're, we're trying to do things over the internet. And he was relieved by this. Like he actually was concerned that maybe uh, our church was going against the government guidelines here. So he was relieved. He, uh, and so I felt like in that moment, we were able to, by honoring uh, the, the authorities that are placed above us, that he was then able to see that we are on his side, that we are also seeking the welfare of the city. Well, friends, this brings us to the second question. What about those situations in which those that we find ourselves under are truly wicked? Like, what do we do when the authorities above us are just absolutely awful? Because here's what we see in verse 18 of today's passage. Peter says this, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters, and not only the good and the gentle ones, but also the unjust. And man, this is a difficult verse for us to read today. Now, before we actually dive into this, uh, I, I think that there's three clarifications that need to be um, mentioned. Because here's the cold truth. Like, unfortunately, this passage has been used by manipulative and by abusive people. And so before we get to what Paul is actually saying, we also need to be very clear about what Paul, or I'm sorry, not Paul, Peter, <laughs> what Peter is not saying. So first of all, Peter is not condoning abuse in this passage. This isn't a justification for emotional, physical, or any kind of abuse that you might find yourself in or somebody else might be in right now. If you're in abusive, if you are in an abusive environment or relationship right now, please know like God wants to rescue you out of that situation. You don't, you're not supposed to read these verses and think, man, I need to continue to be abused by this, this, um, by a, a abusive spouse or a boss or something like that. That's not what the Lord is saying to you today. No, the Lord wants to rescue you out of that situation. In fact, God values your life and he came so that you may have abundant life and he wants to give that to you. So secondly, Peter is not justifying bad work. Uh, in fact, he says so very clearly here. He says, if you suffer because you are bad at your job, or you're just doing evil things at your job, well, that's different. You probably deserve to be punished, right? You know, if you're using your company credit card to buy yourself a TV, like you should be fired for that. That's not glorifying to God. You're not off the hook somehow because you're a Christian in that situation. No, of course not. So thirdly, uh, what Peter is saying here is that this is not justification for obeying unjust laws. So history shows us throughout time, and even in our own country, that laws do arise that are contrary to the word of God. You know, easily we can think of Daniel, uh, who was asked to bow down before Nebuchadnezzar, and he and his friends refused to do so. Or we can think of the civil rights movement that happened in this nation, right, where ministers and other Christians and other people came up to, to protest against unjust laws in our land, and those were good things for us to do. So this is not a way for, or this is not justification for us to obey unjust laws. The Bible is clear, friends, that God's law is above man's law. So with those clarifications in mind, 
Uh, we know what Peter is not saying. So what exactly then is Peter saying in these tough verses? Well, he was saying that if you suffer because of doing good things, then you ought to endure. When your adherence to Christian values leads to mockery, leads to threats, or other kinds of suffering, then you ought to endure. So when that colleague finds out that you're a Christian and is therefore now suspicious of all of your motives and doesn't include you uh, on the agenda or in the meetings anymore, or if you eventually get let go because of this, then you are supposed to endure that. Or if you request to have Sundays off and you're laughed at for wanting some kind of special treatment, you're supposed to endure that. Or if your boss won't give you the big clients because unlike your colleagues, you might not wine and dine those clients in the ways uh, in which he would want you to, well then you're supposed to endure that and to put up with that. What Peter is saying here is do good and endure the consequences. Stick to your Christian values. Be like Christ in these moments and endure the consequences. Now, obviously we're very blessed to be in the country that we're in right now, right? Because for the most part, our society tolerates our faith. But what we, what we should also see is that our suffering is, is different uh, than those who Peter is writing to. And I think rather than us actually feeling guilty about that, I think we should be encouraged by the witness of those who've gone before us and many of those who are around the globe today who are suffering in extremely painful and profound ways. You know, in fact, the community who Peter is writing to, this is a community of servants, of, of poor and marginalized people, many of them who are bound to, to wicked masters. In fact, back in that day, uh, the, the Greek philosophers, Aristotle included, taught that it's okay to beat and, and to abuse your slaves because they were considered not humans, but, but strictly as property. And so for many of these people, there was, there was no escape for them. They can't just quit their job. They can't just go, and, uh, go to HR and file a complaint there. They can't file a lawsuit with the government that can protect them. And so for those of us today, you know, we're not supposed to see that as so distant that we can't identify with them. No, we're supposed to be encouraged by that. We're supposed to see their faith, to see the way in which the Lord moves through them, and we can borrow that faith to bolster ourselves up for whatever kind of suffering we might find ourselves in. And why is this? Well, it's for the sake of the gospel. It's for the sake of the gospel itself. And I love what, what Peter says here. He says that in, those, in these moments that we are gracious things, uh, that we are in these moments icons of God's grace to the situation, to those around us um, in those moments. You see, God wants to use you as a gift of grace to that community, an undeserved gift you are uh, to those around you. And so our hope, our goal, our aim in those moments is to exemplify the endurance of Christ, to embody the peace of Christ in those difficult situations so that others might be drawn into the household of God. In fact, think about it this way. Why are you yourself a Christian? What is it that bolsters your faith? Who is it that bolsters your faith? What is it that most encourages you in your walk with Christ? So my mom had a lot of really hard knocks in her life, especially when I was a younger kid, and I saw her go through a lot of really, really painful stuff. But then I saw the Lord Jesus get a hold of her. 
And I saw the way in which she would seep herself in, in God's word. How she would just immerse herself in the scriptures and she would try to get as close to Jesus as she possibly could. And then I saw the way in which that, that catapulted her forward. That gave her the endurance to persevere through all the suffering that she was going through. And I bet for many of you, you have someone in your life who's a lot like that. In fact, I bet for a lot of you, you have someone uh, who, who you witness enduring through an especially difficult season, and you probably wouldn't be where you are today if it wasn't for the testimony and the witness and the encouragement of that person in your life. Because this is exactly what Peter is getting at. When we endure through suffering, we are brought closer to Christ. We are unified with Christ in a very mysterious, dare I say, sacramental sort of way. It's almost as if this, the bouquet of, of, the, of Christ's spirit is just thick among us. So that wherever we walk, people see and smell Christ with us, right? So Peter says this in verse 21. Christ suffered for you so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You see, friends, when the church suffers, when you suffer, when I suffer, either in small ways like being mocked in the break room or in big ways like being beaten by a wicked master, we are mysteriously joined to Christ. We are united with him. And not just in his suffering, but in his resurrection. And it's by the power of his resurrection, we know that we will be joined with him, that we will see the restoration of all things. The suffering is not the final word. No, because we are united with Christ in his sufferings, we will be united with him in his resurrection, friends. This is the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so Peter concludes by saying this. He says that not only is Christ the lamb that was slain, no, he is also the shepherd and overseer of your soul. So while the world may harm your body, Christ holds your soul. He is the protector of your soul and nothing will be able to take you away from the grasp of Christ upon you. So not only is Jesus that obedient lamb who was slain, but he is also that good shepherd who guards your soul. He is the wounded healer who takes care of you. He is the one who takes upon himself the suffering of the world. And by the power of his resurrection, he is making all things new. So friends, be encouraged. For the suffering that you endure now is, is merely a temporary thing. And there will be a day in which we will be brought into his presence in which every tear will be wiped away, in which all things will be made new because we have been united with Christ our Savior. So please pray with me. Father, our world is a broken and confusing place. So please, Lord, fill us with the spirit of your Son that we may walk in his ways and show the nations the glory of your goodness. And in the fullness of time, may you bring about the healing and the restoration of all things. When there will be no more injustice or plague or suffering or death. To the glory of your holy name.